Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Hello, I'm Simon Morris. I'm not sure whether I speak for anyone else here, but I'm just about over comic book movies now. They've had a good run, goodness knows, and this week sees the release of the 30th film from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Add to that all the DC Comics films and the Spider-Verse and X-Men movies and the number becomes astronomical. But as I say, like adaptations John LaRoche and his fish, I've had enough. That was 17 years ago and I have never since stuck so much as a toe in that ocean. And I love the ocean. But why? Done with fish. For a start, they're too damn big now. I mean, if you can do pretty much anything, then why should I care about you? They're also increasingly shallow. Character development is pretty much limited to the initial origin story, which I can sum up as follows. Started out not super, becomes super, the end. She told me there was great power. Comes great responsibility. Wait, what? How do you know that? Uncle Ben said it. The day he died. Yes, I know, with great power and so on, but that's not enough to fill up 30-plus movies, is it? And above everything, my issue with the last few years of comic book movies is they're so unfocused. With great cast lists come a great number of subplots that need servicing. And frankly, in most stories, from Oedipus Rex and Hamlet to Mrs. Harris goes to Paris, you really only need one lead character. Let's face it, this is not the worst thing you've caught me doing. There's been speculation that I'm parading around as a superhero. I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly. The original Iron Man was about a self-centred billionaire who became a halfway decent person. Captain America was a 1940s Boy Scout hero flung into today's complicated film noir world. Thor was an entitled prince, suddenly stripped of everything and having to start again from scratch. Oh, no, this is Earth, isn't it? Where did he come from? Your ancestors called it magic. And you call it science. I come from a place where they're one and the same. Pretty good setups all, but where do you go from there? The answer was to make them bigger, but not particularly better. To make them more crowded, but not particularly more complex or interesting. And this from a fan of great big movies, the sort that only cinema can pull off. I'm Spartacus! 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 
perhaps some of the billions currently going into feeding the appetite for comic book movies could fund some modern-day rivals of epics of the past. Spartacus and Gladiator, Lawrence of Arabia and Gandhi, even the first Star Wars and Indiana Jones movies before they got lumberingly predictable. I need to know if Wakandans are alive or an enemy. You can come and find out. The new Black Panther's major failing is the inevitable hole in the middle caused by the death of star Chadwick Boseman. Wakanda Forever fills it with lots of subplots. Meanwhile, a little independent movie called Compartment Number 6 shows how to do it. Voyage, voyage. It's like one of Alfred Hitchcock's railway adventure romances without the exotic spies, handsome heroes and blonde heroines. Just people like, well, people like us. And finally, a New Zealand documentary that couldn't be more first-person singular. David Farrier in search of Mr Organ. But first, Black Panther's back, sort of, in Wakanda Forever. Tell me how to best protect Wakanda. Without the Black Panther, Wakanda will fall. The original Black Panther movie was a sensation when it came out in 2018. Not so much for what it was, another year, another new superhero, but for what it represented. Suddenly, superheroes didn't have to be white, male and American. In this case, he was African with a mostly all-women support team of warriors. At home, it was the biggest movie of the year, even bigger than the Marvel all-star WrestleMania epic Infinity War. And it proved there was a market for a superhero on the right side of history for a change. But tragically, personable star Chadwick Boseman fell victim to cancer and writer-director Ryan Coogler needed a strong sequel without him. Only the most broken people can be great leaders. For Black Panther Wakanda Forever, rather than simply recasting T'Challa, the Black Panther ruler of the Kingdom of Wakanda, Kugler wrote his death into the story. The throne now goes to his mother, Queen Ramonda, Angela Bassett, with the other three female leads in attendance, Princess Shuri, General Okoye, and T'Challa's ex-girlfriend, Nakia. And yes, I did have to look them all up. We know what you whisper. Initially, the story centres on Queen Ramonda's anxiety over Wakanda's valuable natural resource, vibranium. How valuable? Only the most valuable stuff in the world, and with superhero Black Panther gone, those pesky ex-colonising nations want to get their hands on it. Further attempts on our resources will be considered an act of aggression and met with a much steeper response. 
fat chance. But then the plot takes a left turn to a genius American teen called Riri. She's invented a vibranium detecting device and therefore, apparently, needs rescuing by Princess Shuri, the appealing Letitia Wright, and we assume the new star of the franchise. Hey, 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 hey. Put it down, put it... You hurt yourself. Come on. It's all right, princess. Small, small girl. I am going to give you two options. You can come to Wakanda, conscious or unconscious. Or is she? Mum's also in the picture, as is General Okoye and a large beefy chap called M'Baku. Just as you're wondering whose story this is exactly, in comes someone else to tip over the card table completely. From the bottom of the ocean, will you welcome the king of Tarakan, Namor? My enemies call me Namor. They came from the water. He has superhuman strength. In the comics, I'm told, honestly, new Marvel movies require so much tedious homework. His watery majesty's kingdom was Atlantis, as you'd expect. But Marvel rivals DC Comics managed to get their Atlantan superhero Aquaman out of the gate first, so now it's the Mayan-based Talacan. His people did not call him General or King. They called him Kukulkan, the Feather Serpent God. And once he arrives, King Namor pretty much hogs Wakanda forever. And this means that the entire film becomes a battle of accents. Wakanda folk speak English with thick, all-purpose African accents. Don't they speak Wakandan? While their Talican foes speak Spanish-accented English, slipping occasionally into ancient Mayan. My mother told stories about a place like this. A protected land with people that never have to leave. That never have to change who they were. And now the story becomes a trade war between Wakanda and Talacan. I forgot to mention that King Namor owns tons of vibranium too, buried underwater. Or it's a battle between Namor and the surface world. Or who gets to be the Black Panther? Or look out, here comes Martin Freeman and his American spies. Show them who we are. In other words, I can't exactly tell you what the story is about because there's no one at its centre for it to be about. I'm sure originally it was about Black Panther, King T'Challa, and his stroppy female sidekicks taking on the dripping feathered serpent god. Biff, splat, pow, splosh. Let the fifth of our discovery stop us from doing what is right. But take the title character out of the story, and no wonder former villain King Namor walks in and takes it over. As the original Black Panther proved when it trounced the Avengers Infinity War at the box office, one strong, attractive hero trumps an overcrowded committee of sidekicks every time. No more.
A little movie called Compartment Number no. 6 has rather reluctantly opened up in certain art houses around the country, despite a pretty glowing reputation, including big prizes at Cannes last year. It comes from Finland, though it's set in Russia, and it opens on a farewell party in Moscow. Hello. The glamorous Serena is seeing off her new girlfriend, Laura, a Finnish visitor who's now taking off to Murmansk in the Arctic Circle, where she plans to look at the famous rock paintings. Originally, Arena was coming too, until suddenly she couldn't. So Laura finds she's going solo. On the train, at least there's one bit of good news. Irina booked them a compartment instead of having to doss down with the plebs. The slightly less good news is Laura finds she's sharing compartment number six with an undoubted pleb, an oafish and slightly drunk Russian called Lioha. Yeah, it's Finlandy. With sinking heart, Laura realises she's got to stay with this idiot for the entire trip, thousands of kilometres from Moscow to Murmansk. But perhaps first impressions are deceptive. They certainly don't seem to be as he swigs back the vodka and makes all Finns are stupid sort of jokes. At least he doesn't seem dangerous. In fact, as the journey continues, Laura starts to treat him like a clumsy puppy who hasn't been house-trained yet. He's going to Murmansk too, where he's a builder for the enormous mining company there. And needless to say, he's never heard of any rock paintings. In fact, he can't imagine why anyone would be remotely interested in anything that old. Laura, rather condescendingly, talks about how important it is one knows one's past before looking at one's future. Well, this would be slightly more impressive if we hadn't heard a professor at her farewell party saying exactly the same thing. A day into the journey, Laura's had enough and wants to go back to her girlfriend. But when she rings Arena from a railway station, she can't help noticing a certain lack of enthusiasm. You don't want to come back already, says Arena. No, of course not, says Laura, quickly. So she decides to tough it out and the trip starts to improve. She meets a nice chap, also from Finland, though that doesn't work out quite the way she was expecting. And to her surprise, she finds herself getting on a bit better with Lioha. Давайте, <coughs> 
Ну давай. At an overnight stopover at St. Petersburg, Lioha miraculously produces a car, lent to him by a friend, he says hastily, and a destination. Let's go and visit an old lady friend of mine, he says, using one of the four or five Russian words I know. Babushka, grandmother. <laughs> The babushka gives Laura some significantly good advice and the journey continues, a journey that turns out, as such journeys do, to be far more interesting than the destination. I was reminded of trips I took at that age, heading somewhere unpredictable, meeting unlikely and possibly dangerous people along the way. It's a traveller's tale, if you like, and it's also, against all odds, surprisingly romantic. The two leads, Russian Yuri Borisov and Finnish Saidi Harla, are so real and touching that for much of the film you forget you're watching acting at all. I love the fact that there was so little backstory, let alone exposition. Compartment number six simply draws us into a story that, despite the freezing Arctic weather, we don't want to end. I have to confess I'd never seen a David Farrier documentary before this week. I know his previous film, Tickled, was very well regarded, as was a TV series called Dark Tourist, where he visits some of the most unappealing parts of the world. But I'm always a bit suspicious of documentaries where the director puts himself firmly in the middle and makes it all about him. Of course, these days, that's most of them. There's a gap in my blinds and I keep thinking, when I open my eyes, I'll see him staring back at me through the gap. Mr. Organ is Farrier's latest. It opens on a story he heard five years ago about a shop called Bashford Antiques. The owner, Gillian Bashford, had a rather proprietorial attitude to her car parks, so she hired a man to clamp overstayers. His name was Michael Organ. A full-scale war was breaking out on the streets of an Auckland suburb. A wheel clamper who was then demanding they pay to get their vehicles back. You are a crook. I'm literally trying to give you 400 bucks cash. Uncontrolled, exorbitant, intimidating behaviour. Farrier wrote about Michael Organ at some length in his newspaper column, and then it went, as they say, viral, meaning TV got onto it and it became a nine-day wonder. Organ was charging hundreds of dollars for a couple of minutes parking and gleefully getting into disputes over it. I know there must be more to this car park terrorist, and I want to find out what. People won't talk because they're frightened. He's a very dangerous man. 
What seemed a quirky page 17 story took off, partly because David Farrier decided it should. As he says in Mr Organ, there has to be more to the story, and the facts seem to bear this out. Michael Organ has a long and chequered past, with inflated claims over who he is and long, complicated court cases. Organ is an enthusiastic and successful bush lawyer. Let's just trademark, soften them up, poison them off, and then shoot them down in flames. That's not a good thing to be probing into with our family. It's caused a lot of pain. And all the time there are veiled hints from people who know Mr Organ that there's more and more sinister to come. Everyone who ever met Michael Organ over the years is clearly made uncomfortable and in some cases traumatised by the experience. Oh, hi, it's David Farrier speaking. I'm a journalist based in Auckland. How are you doing? No, I'm corrected. Thank you. Bye. But to David Farrier's frustration, very few seem keen to go on the record. Until one day, Organ himself and his now-girlfriend, Gillian Bashford, agree to be interviewed themselves. Or rather, Michael Organ does. While Gillian hovers in the background, is she under Organ's mind control or has she simply nothing to say? Organ talks and talks and talks. And after a while, you realise none of it seems to make much sense. Holy shit. This is crazy. He knows I'm making a film about him, and I think he wants to be a part of it. But like other conspiracy theorists we're all too familiar with, it seems to make sense while he's talking, with his hints of shadowy malfeasance and cover-ups and the endless promises that all will be revealed when the time is right. This man was dangerous. How did you know that he'd been to my house? He's talked all about you and said that he's on to you. They give me a key to your home. That does seem quite weird. I mean, I'd prefer you didn't have a key to my house. Eventually, Farrier learns two things. First, when you open your door to someone like Mr Organ, your life is no longer your own for the foreseeable. And second, having invested nearly five years in a film based on a promise that something will happen, you're eventually going to have to produce that something. He followed me down to my bedroom and he punched me in the head six times. Michael Organ is a black hole. You kind of get taken along for the ride. And I've fallen in. <gasps> well, he is a genius. I'm literally trapped with him. But the problem with Michael is once he gets on to you, he won't let go. The good news for Farrier's movie, if not for Farrier himself, is that people start coming out of the shadows to talk about Michael Organ. They mostly say David doesn't want to have anything to do with him which is a problem for a movie actually called Mr Organ. But along with this possibly valuable footage is hours of apparently useless footage of Organ himself happily showing off on camera. You probably would have been quite an interesting person to know if you weren't such a cut. And just as I was starting to think, like Farrier, that this was a story going nowhere, he pulls off a quite brilliant coup, one of those insights that make you look at the last hour and a half with different eyes. Mr Organ was engrossing, even if at the end of it all, you couldn't help feeling you'd been led, again, like David Farrier, down a series of garden paths. And on that encouragement to at least enjoy the trip, it's time to go. I'm Simon Morris, and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. 
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 